Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. This is the second hour of Mornings with Carmen, and joining me now is Matt Dean. Matt is the station manager at Faith 93.1 and AM 1090 in Waterloo. Matt, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, good morning. Thanks for the opportunity to join you today. What does a station manager do? Station manager makes lots of decisions. If people ask me what I do, I, I make decisions all pretty much all day long. <laughs> All right. What's the most exciting thing you've done as the station manager in Waterloo uh, recently? What are you excited wow. about? Well, I'm excited about, you know, we are in this weird time where there's not events going on and and different things like we normally have in the summer here in eastern Iowa. Our team is kind of working together to find new ways to still hang out with our, our listening friends this summer. We have to do it kind of virtually. So we're setting up Zoom hangouts and we're working on creating some different curriculums to, to maybe give people a vacation Bible school experience that maybe they won't have this summer. So I'm, I'm excited to watch our team kind of come together in this unique time to still um, to still hang out with our listening friends this summer. It's pretty exciting. All right. And as we approach uh, the middle and then the end of June, what are you as a station manager and we as a network uh, thinking at least some about? Yeah, so uh, we are here um, hoping to wrap up the financial year budget uh, for Faith Radio. It's amazing if you think about it. You know, Carmen, during this time, something that's been very popular at our house is puzzles, right? Um, not a lot to do, can't go anywhere. Uh, my wife, Jenny, and our girls love doing puzzles. Uh, imagine, if you will, that we're putting together the Faith Radio puzzle. Now, friends all over the Faith Radio network have allowed us to be 90, just about 95% complete with the puzzle. So there's just a piece here and a piece there to, to help us complete the puzzle. And, and nothing is sadder than a, a, a almost finished but not finished puzzle sitting on your kitchen table. So we're asking for your help, whether you're in Eastern Iowa and you listen to, to, to Faith 93.1 and AM 1090, or you're listening somewhere else around the Faith Radio Network this morning, your help is needed to keep your faith radio fully funded. So you can get involved and be one of those final pieces. We don't want any piece to, to not be placed here for faith radio. So you can actually get involved today. You can make your best gift to keep faith radio strong. You can get involved at myfaithradio.com or you can call this morning 877-933-2484. That's Matt Dean. He's the station manager at Faith 93.1 and AM 1090 in Waterloo. Matt, thanks as always for joining us on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Hey, make good decisions today. Jesus-y decisions. <laughs> do that. You All right. Bet. Have a great day. We'll be right back.
Joining me now, Peter Kapsner. I don't know. I have so many ways I could describe him. I, I'm just going to say that he's my friend. He's a fellow brother in Christ. He's a professor. He's a pastor. Um, and he's fun to talk with. So, Peter Kapsner, welcome back. Well, that's a great intro, Carmen. Thanks very much. It's always great to be with you guys, obviously. It's, uh, it's such a... You know, even just talking with the, the guy from Waterloo, too, you know, and we're part of believers all around the country like this in such difficult times on every possible level. It does continue to remind us that we're part of a bigger story where we are brothers and sisters as, as, as part of a kingdom that will persist uh, beyond our lives. And so we, we give our lives to it on behalf of the future. And, and it's just good to be with you in that way. So I'm uh, I'm reminded this morning of just how um, complex people are and and. As individuals, none of us is, you know, a flat Stanley, right? We're not two-dimensional. Right. We're not even three-dimensional. Um, we're multifaceted. I'm like an onion. Um, I don't, you know, you're kind of an onion as well. Um, I don't know. You you might be some kind of fruit or vegetable that as you peel back the layers, it gets sweeter. Um, that might, that's probably true of you because you're better than me. Um, the complexity of, the complexity of the issues that we now face um, as a culture um, tend to seem to tend to make us want to see other people as flat, as not, uh, as not as not complex as one yeah. thing, as black or as white, as male, as female, as red or blue, as as flat. And um, I got to tell you, I can't. I'm having a difficult time um, engaging when um, when someone else. Uh, becomes what I describe as a yabbit monster, right? Yabbit, mm. yabbit, yabbit, yeah. yabbit, yabbit. And I'm just like, can we just have a real conversation? So Van Jones, who we've had on the program uh, back when he did a series on CNN, uh, bringing together people on death row um, with the with the members of the family of, of the deceased who were willing to forgive them. Um, so when he did that redemption series uh, on, on CNN, we had Van Jones on the program. He is now calling for the right and the left to come together. What would it really look like to talk with each other? George Yancey, also uh, an African-American who has been an activist in this area, also a Christian, is, is pleading for the same thing. Like politics, he says this, let us not make the mistake of thinking that we're going to find the right political solution to all of this. Politics and social policies will not save us by themselves. We're looking at a problem that is buried deep within the human heart. Can you just talk with us about what we're facing yeah, you know, and, and I appreciate what you said, Carmen, about treating each other as flat people, you know, and, and Van Jones, I thought, did a good job even raising in the article that you and I were talking through a bit, uh, just recognizing that there's such complexity in this and, and, and there's such a danger, right, in reducing each other down to what, however we want to reduce each other down to, whatever identity it might be. Um, whether it is uh, your vocation that you have, whether it's your role in life and your family, whether it's your skin color, all of those things. I, I'm always mindful of the fact that if, if you could spend an entire lifetime, let's say you could just pick one person in your neighborhood. I mean, any of our listeners could pick one person in their neighborhood. And if they could just somehow compress their neighbor's entire lifetime into one day of their own experience, just just walk in their shoes you would probably, A, you'd be a fundamentally different person. B, you would probably enter into something called mutuality where you would see that another individual is filled with the complexity that you described, that their life experience, and, and when you see them or in, you interact with them over a cup of coffee or maybe you're part of a program together or your kids are in Little League together, whatever it is, 
the amount that you see them in that 30 minutes or an hour, an hour and a half is such a small slice of their life. And and so to enter in a mutuality where you actually consider another person's the, the fabric of their life experience is is such a difficult thing to do, but it's so needed because then we push beyond all of these ways in, in which we do sort of categorize one another. And, and that's maybe step one into starting to deal with what you just described, which is the, you know, the human heart is a bit of a mess. I mean, it, it's hard for us. The scriptures call us to not even try to discern what's going on in our own heart because it, that, it just, it, it defies our ability to do that. And, and so you have to ask God to search you and, and to, to reveal what's in you, those sorts of things. And, uh, and, and the human heart, absent of interacting with God on a regular basis and absent of starting to put these practices in place where you can actually teach your heart to see people in a different way and, and to stop doing the categorizing and stop doing the abbots and stop doing the, the treat people as flat, all of that. That's going to take some time, Carmen. I mean, I appreciate, again, Van Jones's article is that he was just talking about we need to take some steps. Uh, and, and as we take steps, things can change. But this is going to be a long and complex conversation. And if we just, you know, treat it as if I'm going to check in on the news, you know, whatever app I might read, check in on the news for 20, 30 minutes in a given day or even 10 minutes and figure I'm kind of dialed in with all of it and move on with my life. We're going to miss an opportunity for some significant change as individuals in our hearts and as a culture in, in the way we treat one another. All right, we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. Um, uh, what I'd like to pivot to, Peter, when we come back from a very brief break, is how we as white parents talk with our white kids uh, about George Floyd and what's going on in the world today. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. Uh, apparently, people like you better than they like me, Peter. People can believe that I am an onion. People like to think of you as a parfait or a tort. <laughs> well, I'm just saying well, they did not like my reference to a to an onion that you might, you know, be be layered in that way. They think of you as layered with ever increasing sweetness and delight. Apparently. Well, you know, Paul Perot suggested a stack know. of pancakes at the break. And, and uh, you know, the, as the syrup just sort of drenches in, they get sweeter as they go, right? The, 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 the last bite's better than the first. And so mushy. Terrible, See, here's my concern about all of these things. They're mushy. Yeah. I, I don't. Well, that's I don't, true. It's a problem for me. I'm not mushy. Everybody kind of knows well, that. Okay, so how about the seven-layer salad? Could we be, could we have some protein in there? Could there be some <laughs> different flavors? I don't know. I don't. There you go. I don't know, Carmen. I think I got to stick with the mushy because I'm a I'm a sentimental <sighs> sap at best. I cry at movies so easy and stuff. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay with the stack of pancakes, syrup, and mushiness. I like it. Ah, uh, there you go. Um, <laughs> all right. So Peter, let's talk about um, how we are talking with our kids about George Floyd. How we are talking with our kids about what's happening um, in our cities. Um, I'll just tell you, you know, straight up. I have not shown my teenagers the video of yeah. George Floyd dying. We have talked about it. Um, we have gone to a prayer event in our own community. Um, and we did watch um, some of, we have not watched anything on the television, but we have watched a few things on people's Facebook lives where they have been at peaceful protests um, where the police have have responded in ways that seemed um, somewhat overwhelming. Now, I did that in part because we were going to, to go to an event that I had no reason to expect was going to be anything other than peaceful, and it was. But I had to you know, tell them, we still need a plan. If things go sideways 
for any reason, we as a family still need a plan. So um, talk with us about how white parents must be talking with their white kids about George Floyd. Yeah, I think, uh, Carmen, the, the start of it, right? And I think you and I both agree <clears throat> that you you recognize, even some of what we covered in, in the last segment a bit, that there's going to be a limitation on white people talking about black experience. And sometimes that limitation is significant. And so if, if, if you're not careful, you can go too far in the one way and just shut down and say, we can't talk about it at all. So recognizing with humility and, and you know, that 90 percent of the situation you're missing, never walking in another person's shoes, those kinds of things, uh, I think is, is a starting point. But then just cracking up in the box is so important. Uh, you know, silence is always so deafening and so powerful. And, and so in any topic in life, if you can just open the box a little bit with your kids, with your family and uh, and start investigating the conversation, I think that's such an important first step. And I was chatting with my wife, Hallie, about it a little bit last night. We had the really good fortune. Some some restaurants here locally where we live began to open, at least for patio service. And the two of us haven't had a date night out for several months. And so we thought, well, let's at least just go sit on a patio and, and enjoy a nice evening here in Minnesota. And I, and I asked her that question. I said, you know, Hallie, we've got five kids. Uh, how would we talk with them? And what do we want to talk with them about all of this? And, and we have to... Uh, a certain degree, open up the box. We've got a 20 and an 18 year old at home. And so that's an entirely different conversation with um, semi-adults, I suppose. And then we have some younger kids at home too, our youngest three. So it's it's different between them. But Hallie brought up what I thought was a great point. She said, you know, if you lead with questions, it's a great way to, to open the conversation. Instead of leading with a sermon, instead of leading with a monologue where you're going to try to give them everything you've got, you know, on a certain topic, it, it kind of mirrors the sexuality conversation where uh, if you just have one talk about it and that's it, it, it doesn't work. And if you come at them um, real hot with guns blazing on a number of different things, that doesn't work. And so to just say, what questions do you have? You obviously have seen some of the things in the news. You're aware of what's going on. And those questions then create a space where you can converse with your kids at whatever level they are. And and it's never a one-time thing. You just continue to keep the conversation open, check in a few days later, and you can kind of then build an, an ongoing way of life in your, your home where things like racism are as awful and horrific as they are, but they're no longer, they're, they're increasingly less scary to talk about. Uh, and it's the same as sexuality, as, as complex as that is. Uh, when it's no longer a taboo topic, when it's within the flow of your normal life, that y you can start to then address and learn and grow and mature in these areas and not be beholden to news reports and not be beholden to talking heads and not be beholden to so many of the things we might be beholden to in, in helping craft our understanding of these difficult topics. Um, you could read, you know, strong articles as a family then and, and uh, people that do have credibility on these topics, read them together. But that might come two, three, four, six, 10, 12 conversations into it. Uh, I would just encourage any parents out there and, and kids at whatever age they might have them to open up the box, but start with questions. What have you seen? What do you know? What do you understand or not understand? And uh, and just let the conversation go from there. And even, you know, Carmen, you and I believe pretty uh, strongly that the Holy Spirit does uh, exist and reside in this world and does give uh, wisdom and discernment and those sorts of things. Jesus promised us he wouldn't leave us alone. And so if you pray for that kind of wisdom and discernment before you even go in uh, to the conversation with your kids, there there's a lot of really good things that can come from it. So a couple of observations, um, Peter, and this is this is not a cr criticism. This is an observation about all of us who are white and are doing this right now. It's a privilege. Yep. It's a total privilege to be able to sit and have a conversation with our spouse about whether or not and if so, when and 
and how at various stages of uh, of age and stage we are going to have these conversations with our white children. If we were black or if our children were black, we would have already been forced to have had these conversations. These would not be conversations that we were choosing to have. These would be conversations that to protect our own kids, we would have yep. already had. And yep. so no, I, I, I think that that for me is is part of what we as white adults in America have to begin to understand that when when other people use the word privilege, it's they're talking about stuff like this. They're That's, really talking about the fact that we live in a predominantly white world. And because we're white, that means it's a it's a relatively easy place to live all the time. And we get to make choices that other people don't get to make um, because yeah. they're not white. So, I mean, is that a is that a fair observation? Yeah, uh, I think you nailed it 100 percent. I mean, you, you just what you just said is that to be able to talk about these things without being in the heat of these things like we were able to last night, that that's indicative of the privilege that I think people just take for granted sometimes and the assumptions that they have. And I mean, a couple of observations about that piece of it, too, is uh, I'm still struck to this day, some maybe 35 years later, um, when who turned out to be my best friend growing up had moved out of uh, the north side of Minneapolis, which is a 99 percent uh, black community at that time. He moved into sort of lily white suburban Wyzetta, where I grew up and we became best friends. And as we became friends, he began to crack open the box of his early experience up until the age of 8, 10, 12 years old. And he began to talk about the fact that uh, what the, the conversations that they had to have in their family were conversations that we simply didn't uh, think about having in our family back then. And they included the idea when he was a very young boy that, uh, yes, police officers, uh, there's, uh, you know, the vast majority are, are uh, wonderful people filled with integrity and they do want to protect and serve and do all of what the police do. But you never know when you're not going to run into that kind of police officer. And they had to uh, grow up and, and try to, to discern if they were in a situation where the police were not going to be at all friendly or just. Uh, all of what we just saw this last week was part of his experience growing up. And he, he learned how and where to run away from the police so that he wouldn't get taken down to the railroad tracks near their home and just be beaten for no reason at all. And, and when we had those conversations as teenagers, it really struck me for the first time how different it was and, and the kind of experience he must be having in the world as a result that is so fundamentally different than mine. And my wife, Hallie, taught then in the north side of Minneapolis for several years in, in some elementary school classrooms. And again, every time I would drive into the, you know, that part with her, it was, I, life was so different, Carmen. And I think it's so underappreciated. I mean, she talked about uh, the kids just sleeping in her class all day long, uh, these first graders, because they finally had a bit of a safe space in which they could uh, just simply rest uh, in, in her classroom. And they had gunfire drills that they had to worry about out on the playground. Well, we're worried about tornadoes, you know, right, in the suburbs. We would never would have thought to have what do you do in the case of gunfire kinds of stuff back then. And it's so different. And the assumptions that we have, if we don't critically self-analyze a little bit, and and maybe walk a bit with humility, <laughs> a lot with humility, perhaps. I think uh, if somebody wanted to point out all the ways in which we we do have these assumptions and privileges, and we're willing to listen to that, I think it might break us a little bit more than we're, we we may like to admit. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the conversations that I just think that we all also uh, must be engaged in um, are conversations with black kids who have grown up in white majority communities. Those are the kids yes. 
um, who are sort of easiest for us to connect with. And they have a very unique experience as well. Um, we do. have a number of families in our church who, um, you know, the parents are white, but the kids are black. They've they've been adopted into this family. And they they openly talk about how differently their black skinned children are treated than their white skinned children. And so um, when we when we talk about the assumptions that we make and we talk about how we engage, and we talk about how we're going to talk about these things. Um, let's include in those conversations people who have experiences that are different than ours who can help us see things we don't see, um, our own blind yeah. spots. Peter Kapsner, thank yeah. you, as always, for helping us engage the conversations of the day from a Christian worldview in ways that um, are many-layered, you mm-hmm. stack of pancakes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to become my new Twitter handle. I'm looking forward to yeah. it. That and gaps. All right. Thanks, man. We'll talk soon. <laughs> Thanks, Carmen. See ya. All right. So um, we have new puppies at our house. You you may or may not know, I have uh, a dog I call Studio Dog. Her name is Sassy. She is in here right now sitting on her uh, pillow. I describe it as a pillow. It's actually the footrest of a big bean bag, but she doesn't know that. Um, she comes in every morning when the show starts and she lays down and she goes to sleep and she doesn't get up until the show is over, which I find really extraordinary. Um, into her life have been introduced two puppies in the last few weeks. Uh, she's not very excited about that. Um, but I am excited about my next guest, Jennifer Marshall Bleakley, who has written a book entitled Paw Verbs, A Hundred Inspirations to Delight an Animal Lover's Heart. We're going to take a turn now in the show that is going to uh, surprise and delight you with Paw Verbs. That's up next. Here on Mornings with Carmen. At some point, we all stand at this intersection and ask this question. Is God good when the outcome is not? This is Max Licato. The definitive answer to the goodness of God comes in the person of Jesus Christ. He's the only picture of God ever taken. He pressed his fingers into the sore of the leper. He inclined his ear to the cry of the hungry. He didn't retreat at the sight of pain, just the opposite. Cruel accusations of jealous men, Jesus knows their sting. Is it possible that the wonder of heaven will make the most difficult life a good bargain? This was Paul's opinion. He said our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Your pain won't last forever, my friend, but you will. And whatever we go through now, is less than nothing compared with the magnificent future God has planned for us. You'll get through this. God is good, even when the outcome is difficult. This is Max Lucado. You ain't nothing but a I thought Paul might start with who let the dogs out, but um, That's coming you had nothing but a hound dog is good as well. Uh, Jennifer Blakely joining me now. She's author of a number of books. The first one is Joey, How a Blind Rescue Horse Helped Others Learn to See. Um, today we're talking about Paul Verbs, A Hundred Inspirations to Delight an Animal Lover's Heart. Um, you have found your niche, Jennifer Blakely. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much. I, I have indeed. <laughs> I love it. Um, I want to invite people to check out what you're doing at jenniferbleakley.com. Um, and let me just go ahead and say to all you animal lovers out there, yes, I have copies of the book um, to give away. So if you'd like to enter uh, the drawing to receive one of the copies, you know what to do. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Jennifer, uh, well, okay, so I I didn't get beyond... Um, 
uh, the the nice things that people said at the very beginning because Margot Starbuck is a friend of mine. Uh, really? We went to seminary together, and so when I oh. saw her name right there in the front of the book, I was like, oh, "Well, if Margot likes her, then you know, right?" So, uh, awesome. so yeah. So when you talk with her next, um, please uh, please share my ongoing genuine affection for her oh, as well I and will. all that she's doing. She is awesome. <laughs> Okay, so um, Paul Verbs, uh, l- let me just say that I talk with a lot of authors about a lot of books, and so yeah. we have a lot of books in our house, and uh, I, I, gen- I generally have, like, the next morning's book on uh, on the table in the kitchen, and m- most of the time, in fact, like, nine hu- 99 times out of 100, no one comments at my dinner table on the book that is right there, you know, sitting next to us. Um, okay. Last night, however... Um, everybody wanted to see the book. They wanted to read the book. They wanted to put their hands on the book. Um, they wanted to know if you were aware, does she know, um, about Hank, the cow dog? Does she know that Sassy is a canardly? Has she heard about Frisky Pup? Is she familiar with dog, uh, D-O-G, the dog who sees his reflection and thinks he's God? Has she heard of the Labradorable or the Labracadabrador? So oh, I, that's awesome. I, I know these are all the questions from the kids at my dinner table. Um, Tell us, because uh, it does, this is a surpri- surprising, delightful approach to the Proverbs. Tell us about Proverbs. You know, I, I love, I, I often tell people that animals are my love language. I know that's not one of the original five. I really think we need to do a writing campaign to add that one. But um, I, I just, I've always loved animals. As a painfully shy child, I was able to communicate with animals in a way that was hard for me with adults. They just felt safer to talk to. I didn't have to worry about how I was coming across to them. And in many ways, those my animals as a child became some of my first teachers, um, just teaching me, you know, basic social skills in some way, but also far more importantly, and something I didn't really realize until later on as an adult, in many ways, they were some of the first ones to teach me about the heart of God and about some of um, his attributes, his loyalty, his compassion, his, his just his presence with us. And so as, as when I became a mom, you know, wanting to teach my kids and our church was going through a series on Proverbs and it just so happened we had a puppy at the time. And um, as anyone who has been in, you know, raising a puppy knows there's a lot of opportunities to teach your children about, you know, right and wrong and obedience and things like that. And and it just so happened that we were seeing all of these lessons that we were learning about in Proverbs kind of acted out in real time at our puppy. And it just, it got my my creative wheels kind of spinning. And so it's Proverbs started as just some stories to tell my children to help them understand some some spiritual truths in a really fun and you know lighthearted way. And then after writing my first book, Joey, which was about, you know, a blind horse who helped people learn to see, it was a true story of this uh, awesome horse. Uh, and just realizing how much we really can learn from our animals if we'll just, and I'm sorry for the pun, but pause and pay attention. Uh, you know, God has so much to teach us through our animals. So it just seemed in my brain uh, like a, a natural joining of the two. And I do love a good pun. So I couldn't resist proverbs and proverbs. It's so fun. And it does help us pause, right? There's all there's yeah. all kinds of uh, of ways to use the language here that's fun. Um, we I think that we um, we stop and we take a breath when someone uses a word in a new way. I call it wordplay. Mm, I like yeah. to play with words. 
Um, yeah. And there are uh, there are so many just joyful um, stories in here. Talk with us also about the power of story, because this isn't um, you know, this isn't a hundred um, uh, reflections on the Proverbs with a cute right. cover with pets on it. That That's not <laughs> what this is. Right. So these are really stories. Talk with us about the power of story. Right. I mean, I, I feel like we see that all throughout the life of Jesus. I mean, the, he most often taught through stories. And I think there's something that we can learn even just there that are, I think we as humans learn best from stories. If, if we can relate to something, if something sounds like our everyday life, but then there's this, this spiritual truth, this as, you know spiritual aspect to it. I think that in some ways we receive that so much better because we can put ourselves in those stories. And so, yeah, the book, each, each um, proverb starts with a verse, a proverb, but then it's just a story. And that was the delightful part in writing the book. It was also the challenging part is I just collected a bunch of stories. I just asked people, tell me your animal stories. Tell me a funny story. Tell me a, a heartwarming story. Tell me something that you saw about God. And um, so it became a giant puzzle. But as I would go through the Proverbs and just kind of, you know, think about all these different stories, just started matching um, stories together. And so it, it is, it's, it's an animal story. So I feel like people could read it just for a, a short, entertaining, heartwarming story, or you could go deeper because at the end of every story, there's a time to pause and ponder where you just kind of reflect and go a little bit deeper into the story. And then there's a pause and pray where you could even um, go a step further and just pray over some of what God reveals in, in these stories. Uh Entry number 69, The Salty Kiss of Friendship, um, <laughs> yes. is one of my favorites in the book. Um, but uh, but there are so many um, surprising, delightful paw verbs in this book. I'm talking with Jennifer Marshall Bleakley. You can find her online at jenniferbleakley.com. Um, if you want to enter the drawing to enter one of the copies I have of Paul Verbs, 100 Inspirations to Delight an Animal Lover's Heart, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Jennifer and I will continue this conversation in just a moment. Who let the dogs out? I feel like uh, my pets need a course in, um, in discipline, <clears throat> self-discipline specifically. Um, uh, so maybe that would be a paw verbs I could raise with them. Joining me today, Jennifer Marshall Bleakley. She is the author of several books. The, the, most, the one we're talking about today is Paw Verbs, 100 Inspirations to Delight an Animal Lover's Heart. You can visit her online and follow her on all the social medias, uh, jenniferbleakley.com. Um, and yes, thank you for all of those who are interested in the book. If you are interested in entering the drawing for the books that I have here, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, all right. So um, I think that I think that pets, animals is a love language. Um, I think that any any word after which you could use the word therapy is a love language. And so I think music is a love language that's not on the list. Yeah. And I think think that furry creatures, you know, I think pets is a love language that's not on the list. Um, talk, talk with us about, just tell us one of these stories about the power of the presence of an animal to change someone's experience of life, because that's really what seems to happen over and over and over again. 
Right. Um, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, you referenced the um, salty kiss of friendship, which is so funny. My daughter made a little bookmark for me, and it happens to be on that exact story. Oh, uh, on that's the Holy Spirit. Me. Right. And uh, I just, I loved that story too. I had seen this photo of a golden retriever that's standing on a dock kissing a dolphin whose head is is come up out of the water. And it was on uh, just a Facebook. I was going through Facebook and a meteorologist from where I used to live in Florida had posted this picture. And I love dolphins and I love dogs. And I'm like, I have to know the story behind that photo. And so it took me a while, but I was able to, um, to, to find who had taken that picture. And she is a dolphin trainer down in the Florida Keys. And uh, just a remarkable story about this this puppy that she had, Gunner, and uh, she would just take the puppy with her every day to work, where she gets to work as a dolphin trainer, which I'm not at all jealous of that job. <laughs> but um, she just over time, this dolphin Delta and her dog Gunner began this friendship where, you know, they would play fetch, like Marie would throw the toy into the water for the dolphin. The dolphin would bring it back to Gunner. Gunner would then take the toy to Marie. It was just beautiful. And Marie was is raising a, a young boy. And there were moments in, you know, just her life where she would kind of question, should I be giving my son more? Is Is there more that I should be giving? Should we be in a bigger city where he would have more opportunities? But as she watched her son watch the friendship between two entirely different species and how they had nothing in common except they were both animals and, and they were both living beings. And her son getting to see these two creatures interact with each other and find a commonality and find this animal friendship you know, her starting to realize sometimes there's far more important things that we can give our children than the latest, greatest, you know, uh, experiences that the world tells us are important. And he's learning um, more valuable lessons than she could ever purchase for him. So uh, it's just one of so many beautiful stories that I was honored that people would share with me to have someone, you know, share share something spiritual that they learned, especially people that would share stories with me of animals that have passed away that are no longer with us. And that just felt really sacred having lost uh, a couple dogs over the years and truly grieved those so deeply. I, I understand what that is to share that story with someone. So I, I was so honored um, that they would do that and, and just getting to see the heart of God through so many different animal encounters was really precious. So, um, Jennifer, let me confess, I haven't read um, every page of the book. Um, and so is there a chicken in here and I've missed it? <laughs> um, let me think. I, I do not think there is a chicken. Okay. So Matthew um, has a chicken story to share with you. And oh, okay. um, so here's what I'm wondering. Um, are you like open to people sharing some testimonies with you about their pets um, oh, and some uh, and some 100%. stories? Yes. And how would what would be the best way? Would you want them to do that on your Facebook page? You want them to do that? Where where is the best place to do that? So there is. I'm I'm trying to grow a Proverbs Pets community um, on <gasps> social media. Love that. So there's there's Proverbs Pets um, on Facebook and Instagram. So you could you could certainly go there. I also have an email address set up just for people to share stories with me, which is proverbspets at gmail.com. So um, any of those ways, however you can find me, I would be honored to to hear 
stories and maybe we'll do uh, well, a whole chicken book, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, prepare yourself because, um, you know, if you live where we live, you've got all kinds of animal stories. I mean, there's Hawkeye in the sky. There's the uh, snake in the grass. I mean, we have we have a variety of uh, of stories from out here in rural America that we'd be happy to share with you. Oh, um, I love it. <laughs> it. It really is. It's such a delight. Um, my guest is Jennifer Marshall Bleakley. You can find her at jenniferbleakley.com. If you've got a story to share with her, just give her an email at paulverbs, P-A-W, verbs, paulverbs, pets, at gmail.com. You can also find her uh, at paulverbspets on Facebook and Instagram. If you are interested in uh, entering the drawing for one of the copies that I have, and let me just say to our friends at Tyndall, we're going to need more books. Uh, you can just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Jennifer, thank you so very much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. What a, refl- oh, a refreshing you. delight. <laughs> thank you so much. I so appreciate it. We will talk again. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> okay. Blessings. We'll be right back. Thank you. Okay, so let me let you know here at the end of today's program that tomorrow, Dan Darling, who is the new vice president of communications for the uh, for the NRB, um, he's going to be here to guest host this program. Um, thank you for your prayers for my mom. She's being released from the hospital this morning. And so I'm going to leave after today's program to be with her for the weekend. Uh, thank you for your continuing prayers. Her name is Ruth Ann. Uh, and just appreciate um, prayers for her and others like her who are, you know, elderly and have been alone in the hospital for myriad reasons in the midst of the pandemic. Let's also pray with deepest gratitude to God for uh, the way that he heals the body. Prayers for ongoing recovery and strength. I really appreciate that. Um, I'll see you right back here on Monday. Between now and then, let me encourage you to expect always the unexpected and anticipate miracles, knowing that with God, all things are possible. So just ponder that for a moment. Uh, Let's live in the reality that um, of this like joyful expectation that because God is present and because God is powerful and because God is good and because God is great, all things are possible. It is not impossible that we could find a way forward um, individually and collectively as a country, a way forward that would be better than the ways in which we have lived in the past. It is possible. Um, Easter changes everything. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Pentecost not only happened, but is happening. The Holy Spirit descends with power. The Holy Spirit uh, does not give us a spirit of fear or timidity, um, but of a sound mind and the ability to actually move empowered as God's people into the world to bring real change, real change, real hope. The only way that we can do that is by having real conversations with real people about what's really going on. So spend some time this uh, this next few days getting real with yourself, with God, with others, and I will see you right back here on Monday morning. Have a great evening and weekend, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.